As investment managers, we're perpetually confronted with shiny new exposures to include in portfolios, and not only by the providers of the funds that offer access to such fancy new stuff. Clients, too, bring ideas straight from the TV or internet that they believe will make their portfolios better. That can be true if it might make the client more comfortable with the portfolio overall, and greater comfort can help folks remain invested, both key aspects of reaching long-term financial goals, we think. So we work with clients both to understand the broader characteristics of exposures that are not yet represented in their portfolios. We also like to take the time to explain potential benefits and trade-offs of their potential inclusion in the mix. We're generally sure, too, to describe how we arrive at what we believe to be a proper weight for such exposures in the portfolio. Qualifying that messaging a bit, we often are not convinced that such exposures are ideal or optimal for the client's portfolios, but we minimally must believe that they are not bad for the portfolio. Take large-cap growth stocks, for example. In our investment approach, we tend to emphasize smaller company stocks and stocks with relative valuations on the less expensive side of the spectrum. But for a long time prior to the early stages of the pandemic, more than a decade actually, those sorts of stocks had been underperforming. They were going up, just not by as much as were big stocks, big technology stocks in particular. So a few clients felt like they were missing out by not having exposure to those names in their portfolios. The truth of the matter is that those stocks tended already to be in the portfolio. It's just that their weights in the portfolio were smaller than their weights in the broader indexes. And where we own those stocks already, that ownership wasn't as obvious as those clients might have liked. They certainly weren't the only things in the portfolio. Again, that's a function of our favoring stocks very much not like big, expensive technology stocks, because such expensive names tend actually to underperform over time, if not always. A simple metaphor may help. If we think of the broader market of U.S. stocks as a pizza, the flavor would be dominated by the meats. In addition to a heavy dose of large-cap pepperoni, there's a hefty toss of technology sausage in the mix of toppings as well. We, however, tend to prefer a pizza with a more subtle combination of flavors, so the mix in our pies enhances the contribution of small-cap mushrooms and cheap stock green peppers, and we add international flavors like European basil and emerging market chilies that are entirely absent from many pies. So the client's like, I can't see the pepperoni. I can taste it a little bit, I think. And I know you said it's in there, but can I have some more, please? And we say, sure thing, but with a caveat that too much pepperoni can cause a bellyache and maybe even some other long-term issues. So we add a bit more pepperoni and we put it on top so that it's clearly visible. So the client can see it and taste more of it, again, even though it probably always had been in the pie. In the end, though, that extra pepperoni can make the pie a bit more like a standard pie that one could buy at any local shop. Good enough but perhaps nothing so special about it. To extend the metaphor a bit, we generally want to be careful not to keep adding flavors as we end up with a pie that tastes of nothing in particular. And on the flip side, we think all pizzas should minimally have sauce, cheese, and dough. Without all three, it's just not a pizza. Technology growth stocks are just sausage, and only sausage does not a pizza make. Folks who only want sausage might wish to visit their local butcher. Leaving the metaphor aside for a moment, what we might do in such instances is to add to an existing portfolio an investment that provides the narrower, more concentrated exposure that the client would like to experience. And I put the C bit in air quotes because, again, when it comes to most stocks, it's in there. Just not at the levels that clients might wish and not entirely visible when the client looks at the portfolio holdings. So at this point, you either love that metaphor or you hated it. 
but we hope it explains a bit of our approach when it comes to accommodating specific requests from clients with regard to our management of their investments. And again, such efforts look to ensure that the additional exposures do not upset the balance we seek to achieve in our work, either by subjecting the portfolio to undesired additional risk or by detracting from a long-term total return target. And it's along those lines that such conversations become a bit more challenging. Sometimes we host discussions with clients who we believe might inadvertently do harm to their portfolios and their desires to capture some aspect of market activity on which they feel they've missed out. As examples, cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, are just the latest entries in a long history of potential investments pitched to us with the promise that they'll change the way we invest forever. Sure, they'll change the way we invest, invest is in air quotes here, but we think mostly in ways far more likely to be harmful to client pursuits of their long-term financial plans. Speaking specifically of cryptocurrencies and NFTs, it's quite difficult to argue that either presents a fundamental basis for value outside of scarcity, and that's why we consider them very different than we might stocks and bonds. When we can't defensively determine the inherent value of something, that is, when we can't judge its current price relative to an objectively estimable intrinsic value, we cannot invest in it. We may only suggest that its price will change in the future based on the desires of others to own it, and any purchase of it in our view therefore amounts to not much more than speculation. And as fiduciaries to our clients, we think speculation should never be an objective of our work. Some might call it a game of semantics, but we truly believe investing is something rather different than speculation. Speculation's promoters can be a tempting bunch, though, especially when they're riding a performance tailwind. Their efforts to engender fears of missing out dovetail into beliefs in random investment-related urban legends, mixed feelings about return and risk, and a wide range of other anxieties, hopes, and dreams. It's our job, of course, to sort all that out. And we're certainly happy to do so, as we find our approach to resolving truth from fiction using data and experience can prove both calming and confidence-building for our clients. And that approach, too, allows us to continue to be flexible to expectations clients have for their investments, while allowing us to ensure that we continue to keep their best interests, both present and future, in mind. performance is not indicative of future results. The foregoing commentary is not presented as an investment recommendation. The approach described may not be right for everyone. No one listening to this commentary should take our comments as advice specific to or appropriate for their individual situations. Individual circumstances should be taken into consideration when determining a suitable investment approach. All investing carries risk.